Hi everyone, welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Michael Schroeder, a former dean at CSU San Marcos who misspent hundreds of thousands of dollars on travel, entertainment, and dining, is now being investigated by the San Diego County District Attorney. Jeff McDonald has more. Then Tamara Kohler, CEO of the Regional Task Force on the Homeless, is our guest this week on Name Drop San Diego. First, the news. Governor Gavin Newsom proposed a second round of $600 state stimulus checks on Monday to help California recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. Under the proposal, which still needs approval from the legislature, households earning up to $75,000 in adjusted gross income will receive checks. Newsom also proposed $5 billion for rental assistance and as much as $2 billion to pay down overdue utility bills. The average rent in San Diego County has increased 5% in a year after a slowdown during much of last year. Average rent was $1,940 a month, according to CoStar, a real estate tracker. However, rent has been increasing over the last five months because vacancy rates are dropping. Last week, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors passed a rent cap of 4.1%. It is set to last two months after Gavin Newsom ends the statewide COVID-19 restrictions. The earliest tropical storm to ever form in the eastern Pacific Ocean is happening 1,300 miles south of San Diego and could send elevated surf to Southern California. That's according to the National Weather Service. Forecasters say that San Diego will have a daytime high of 68 on Monday and 69 on Tuesday. The temperature will rise 2 to 3 degrees on Wednesday and Thursday. As Dean of Extended Studies at Cal State San Marcos, Michael Schroeder racked up tens of thousands of dollars in improper travel expenses. He left the school in 2019 after the San Diego Union Tribune exposed his lavish spending, and he's now under criminal investigation by the San Diego County District Attorney's Office. Jeff McDonald reported this story with Morgan Cook. Um, Jeff, first of all, just a little bit of background. How did you find this story? Well, we solicit tips online and in the newspaper, and this was a uh, anonymous uh, suggestion we received um, back in 2019. Uh, there was no detail or specificity to the uh, tip, which just came on a uh, you know a sheet of paper saying, "Hey, this guy's traveling all over the world. You should pose travel expenses." So we did, and it took some weeks to get the documents back from the university. And uh, when we did, we found the initial. Uh, expenditures were pretty eye-popping. Um, and we quickly thought, well, we reported that, but then we thought we'd better look at some of the other administrators. So we followed up. And uh, when they provided those documentation, uh, we did a second story, I think later in the fall of uh, 2019 that showed it wasn't limited. This uh, you know, improper spending was not limited to the one Dean. It was uh, actually quite pervasive, including up to the president herself. Yeah, right. So uh, former President Karen Haynes and former Provost uh, Graham Oberham were also accused of improper spending, uh, but they were never audited. And as far as we know, right, there's no criminal investigation against them. Why is that? Uh, Well, uh, the university told us that uh, they were audited uh, internally uh, and there were some policy violations that were uncovered, but nothing that rose to the level of criminality. Uh, That's regarding the president and the former provost uh, and others as well. Uh, Mr. Schroeder was the only one who was deemed to have performed uh, any kind of criminal act in the university's mind. So they took those uh, 
findings to the district attorney uh, apparently last year and the, the DA's office has been looking at it, I think since, uh, since early 2020, it's not clear because prosecutors don't typically discuss their, uh, you know, their cases as they're being developed. Uh, well, what was criminal about, you know, his offenses versus theirs? What did he do that they had not done? Well, again, that's not clear. Uh, the records we found, and, and just to um, uh, explain further, uh, we got thousands of records, uh, thousands of pages of records over many, many months, about two years worth. Uh, so it's not a small amount of documentation we waded through. Uh, and there were more than 10 administrators that racked up thousands of dollars uh, on various trips. Now, a university is a dynamic thing and the people there are professionals and they need to do a certain amount of and research and networking with alums and donors and uh, prospective faculty, the whole gamut. Uh, so some travel is certainly uh, expected. Uh, what Mr. Schroeder was doing was um, perhaps above and beyond that uh, call of duty. He was hiring private drivers. He was flying first class. He was regularly purchasing alcohol, uh, dining at very lavish restaurants. Um, I think I talked a little bit about it in the latest story where he was fond of, uh, you know, the seafood platter for $130 at a, a, a nice restaurant in Encinitas uh, that turned up in his expense reports multiple times. Um, that said, the university president engaged in a lot of the same behavior uh, certainly with uh, hiring of, of limousines and private drivers um, and uh, ex excessive travel costs. So what differentiates her behavior compared to Mr. Schroeder uh, was never fully articulated to us. Uh, when we asked those questions, uh, the answer we got, um, and Christy, we don't have conversations like you and I do. Uh, they answer all our questions in writing. And so a lot of times their answers uh, you know, generate new questions that don't always get responded to. So uh, we were not able to say for certain why Mr. Schroeder's uh, behavior was deemed criminal and why some of the other administrators were simply policy violations that did not rise to the level of criminality. Yeah, I think one of the, the expenditures that stood out to me was he went to an NFL game and a Gun and, Guns N' Roses concert on the same day. Yeah, kind good of, times. <laughs> kind of incredible. Um, um, I mean, it, it seems that we don't know too much about the investigation yet, but I mean, what sorts of penalties might he face? Do, do you know? Uh, well, if he's used of fraud, he could, he could go to jail. Uh, I know that the university is seeking restitution. Uh, we did press them on how much money they want back. Uh, they won't say. They, uh, they gave us a couple of different answers. First, they told us the university is requesting the money back. Uh, which would be the first time they've ever requested repayment from any employee for any kind of expenditure, uh, I'm told. Uh, later, she told us that uh, uh, it was the district attorney that is seeking the restitutions, which I'm not sure is the district attorney's primary uh, you know, directive. They usually seek criminal cases and prosecution, and if there's restitution, it would be dealt with you know, post-conviction or in a probationary uh, uh, directive. So I, I'm not sure what's going on with that. They, uh, they, they were pretty uh, extravagant in their spending. Uh, Mr. Schroeder in particular, the Guns N' Roses thing, uh, the NFL football. Uh, some of them told us that uh, a lot of these expenses are necessary for recruitment purposes and for donor relations purposes. 
which may or may not be true, but we've looked at a lot of expense records and uh, these jumped out at us as, uh, as unusual. And so after the story came out in 2019, the university said it did make changes to its reimbursement policy. Yeah, how are they making sure this sort of thing won't happen again? Uh, well, we have checked, uh, well, they did a couple of things. They, uh, they reissued the protocols they already have and reminded staff what's allowable and what's not allowable. So uh, I think there were widespread uh, communications about what's proper and what's not proper. Uh, sort of like the kind of reminder any company might issue to its workforce in cases of abuse. Uh, they also imposed some uh, standards where signing and approval authority was double-checked and reprocessed so that uh, one person couldn't be approving expenses for somebody else uh, who approved that person's expenses, because we saw that a couple of times where uh, you know, Administrator A would approve Administrator B's expenses and Administrator B would approve Administrator's A expenses. So that's not supposed to be permitted any longer. Uh, so they tightened up the policies that just basically make good sense and good internal controls for any organization. Um, we have looked and requested, requested and looked at uh, subsequent travel records uh, under the new president who came in, uh, President Neufeld, who came in in uh, July of 2019, and she had not been accruing uh, travel costs anywhere near the amount that the prior president had been. So I think it's fair to say they got the message and they uh, tightened their practices uh, system-wide. Now, that said, we'll pay attention and look, you know, later this year, next year, and just do some due diligence requests later on, uh, as we would with any organization. And finally, in the Michael Schroeder case, I mean, do you expect to find out how much restitution the university will want, or we know when might we hear uh, if you know if there are charges? Can't say. Uh, as I said, the that's going to be up to the district attorney's office, and and they typically don't discuss cases that are ongoing. Uh, they wouldn't confirm or deny that this case is under investigation. We nailed it down, of course, when the university uh, was trying to be transparent and respond to us and our questions, uh, you know, because we represent the community uh, and they conceded that the district attorney is investigating. So it's not something they they offered up. This was after multiple um, queries we presented them and pressing them on with follow-up questions. Uh, we reported uh, earlier this month about a dispute with the, the former president having a uh, institute named in her honor. And uh, in the course of reporting that story, which received some criticism from students who you know, were miffed at the spending. Uh, that's how we learned about the criminal case. So uh, they conceded it to us. We'll see what happens. It may be uh, this year, uh, it may be this month. We just don't know. Uh, probably because this is a high profile case, the district attorney's office, if they do file charges, they'll make an announcement and issue a press release. If not, we'll just keep checking with them as the weeks and months uh, go forward. Any kind of restitution order would um, probably be part of a sentence or a court or, or some kind of uh, plea agreement negotiated between the, the former dean and the, uh, and the victim, which would be the people of California.
Now let's turn to opinion. Abby Hamblin is an opinion editor and producer at the UT. We host Name Drop San Diego together. It's a podcast about interesting people from San Diego who shape this place and have been shaped by it. Um, Abby, our guest this week is Tamara Kohler. What can you tell us about her? So she is the CEO of the Regional Task Force on the Homeless for San Diego. And she has done this work at multiple places before coming here. Um, She worked for the state of Utah, the city of Seattle, and she's just very passionate about this issue. And for those who don't know, the task force is meant to sort of coordinate strategy, policy, and especially funding for all kind of the different stakeholders when it comes to solving homelessness in San Diego. So while they don't provide services directly, it's not like it's a shelter or you know, something that does specific one-on-one work. It's very much like, I would just say deeply rooted in, in the decision-making, the, um, like I said, the funding and just sort of the action, you know, if you want to know what's going on on homelessness in San Diego, the task force is very much involved. Yeah. Well said. And, uh, what about Tamara herself? What stood out to you, uh, during the interview? Um, I think, you know, we asked her some pretty tough questions about some of the things we've seen in the headlines lately when it comes to homelessness. Um, Obviously, the pandemic was a challenging time for the homeless community and, you know, those who help that population. Uh, We asked tough questions and she continued to be sort of optimistic and, you know, positive and uh, very thoughtful about the responses and, and sort of where the city goes from here. So I think just hearing, you know, she says things like this is a solvable problem and we can end homelessness. And I think, you know, that's not what we hear all the time, especially, you know, in the news we're often reporting or on the editorial board talking about some of the issues and some of the things that, you know, need to change or what have you. But she's just a very optimistic person. Like I said, she's been involved with the issue for quite a while. She's very data driven And, you know, she says she sees the work that's being done, the effort, she sees the funding, she sees the action, and she actually believes um, that it's a solvable problem and that we are solving it as a city of San Diego. So um, just very interesting to hear her perspective. And she lives downtown as well. So I think she kind of brings that uh, perspective to the work that she does. And um, yeah, I think if you're curious about the sort of people behind the work of homelessness, then Tamara is an interesting person to get to know. Yeah, it was interesting when she said to us after doing the lightning round, which we do um, in every one of our interviews, just kind of random off the wall questions to try to get to know our guest better. But she was like, oh, thank you for asking about me. People usually don't, you know? And so I think this is like a great example of an ideal name drop interview where this is a name that you've probably heard quoted in the news, you know, dozens and dozens of times, but you don't really know the person, uh, you know, behind that quote. And so that's what we tried to do. Um, Speaking of, let's go ahead and end on a quote of hers, Um, Abby set it up for us yeah so what I like to often do uh with people who work on policy or you know some of the big issues that affect the daily lives of San Diego is say if you could look every San Diegan in the face right now which you know ideally every San Diegan's listening to our podcast and (laughs) they have their headphones on and can hear from this person you know we just said what is the one thing if you could just look everybody in the eye and say something straight to them and really let it sink in what would you say so we asked her that and uh, her her answer was pretty interesting and i think really uh illustrates her mindset and the thinking behind what she does as the ceo at the task force so yeah 
check it out. One of the things I hear often is I have to pay for my housing. Why does someone deserve free housing? It's important to know that all of our housing is not free. Anyone who's housed pays 30% of their income. That may be fixed income from benefits, but something is paid by everyone who is in housing. So the more housing that we can have that is affordable, the more we'll reduce those. Those that need the public assistance pay something. And so if we wanna recover, if we wanna really have a thriving community, I think we need to be comfortable with the fact that some people need a little assistance. And we're okay in so many other areas. We need to get okay and comfortable with assisting people with housing. We're totally fine with social security for an aging population. Why are we not okay with this? Thank you.